We have an anchor. The anchor of the soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. One of the great blessings that we enjoy is to be a citizen in this nation that we call home. There are a lot of places that we could live around the globe and yet to be a citizen of this country. I understand, I know that we have a lot of problems in our country. We also have a lot of blessings. We have a lot to be thankful for. On a much larger scale, I think about what a great blessing it is to be a part of a spiritual nation that is the kingdom of God. In 1 Peter chapter 2 at verse 9, Peter said that we are a part of a holy nation. Did you know that those of us that belong to the body of Christ, we are citizens in the kingdom of God. And so today I want us to think for a minute or two about the believer's citizenship. And we're going to really be looking at the latter part of verse 19 down through verse 21. I want to begin by first talking about the attitude of a believer. In verse 20, the Apostle Paul said, For our citizenship is in heaven. Paul, of course, writing to Christians in the first century. Individuals that were a part of this great body that we call the church, the kingdom of God. I think, first of all, we ought to understand who we are. We talk about being a Christian and a citizen in the kingdom of God, but who are we? Well, first, we are people that have been saved by the Lord. Paul tells us in chapter 2 in this book that Jesus Christ came in the likeness of man, being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient under the cross. As Paul said, yes, even the death of the cross. The Hebrew writer will tell us in chapter 2, verse 9, that Jesus tasted death for every man. As a result of the work of Christ on the cross, we today have the blessings and the assurances of enjoying redemption through his blood. Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, that it is in Christ that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So we've been saved by the Lord. And then secondly, I would suggest we are identified as saints of the Lord. When Paul begins his letter to the church in Philippi, and he was writing from a Roman prison in about A.D. 61 or 62, he speaks of those who were saints. Saints are people that have been sanctified. That is, they've been set apart, having obeyed the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 in verse 11. Paul, in writing to those people, said, you were washed. Then he said, you were sanctified. That is, you've been set apart from the world unto God. We have been delivered out of the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son, according to Colossians chapter 1 in verse 13. Now, it's in that sphere... We enjoy redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, Colossians 1.14. And so we've been saved by the Lord. We are sanctified in the Lord. We are saints of the Lord. 
and then we are servants of the Lord. Paul, in writing to these people in the first century, if you look at chapter 1, Paul identifies himself as a servant. He, along with Timothy, he is writing to saints, that is, Christians. Paul was a saint. Timothy was a saint. They had been saved. They had been sanctified. They belonged to the body of Christ. And Jesus Christ epitomizes servanthood. And Jesus asked on one occasion, is the servant greater than his master? So those of us that are a part of the body of Christ, we are, as I said a moment ago, saved by the Lord. We are saints of the Lord. We are servants of the Lord. And then finally, we are sojourners in the Lord. A sojourner is a pilgrim, an alien. And really what we're talking about is, here is someone who is in a place, and the place, his abode, is not his native country. In other words, he's just passing through. As children of God, we are only here for a brief period of time. The Bible says we have here no abiding city. But we seek that city which is to come. You have to understand that we're only here on planet earth for a very brief period of time. The psalmist talks about how we might live to be 70, 80 years of age. But he said it's soon cut off and what happens? We fly away. So the exhortation is to teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom according to Psalm chapter 90 in verses 10 and 12. And then there is a second thing I want to call attention to as we consider the attitude of a believer. First, we need to know who we are, and then we need to know whose we are. In other words, we belong to the Lord, don't we? Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, said, Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have from God? He said, You are not your own. You are bought with a price. So the exhortation is to glorify God in your body and spirit, which, as he would say, are God's. God owns us. We belong to Him. In Hebrews chapter 12, in verse 23, the writer there speaks of the general assembly and church of the firstborn. The background to this verse is found in Exodus chapter 13, verse 1. When God instructed the children of Israel to set apart the firstborn, whether man or beast, and He said, it is mine. When we talk about being a part of the church of the firstborn, what we're saying is that we belong to God. God owns me lock, stock, and barrel. God God has every right to lay claim on me because I've obeyed the gospel. I've been redeemed by His blood, and so I belong to Him. Now, in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 23, not only do we belong to the Lord, but the Bible tells us we are in the book of the Lord. The Hebrew writer said, who are registered in heaven. When you obeyed the gospel, God placed your name in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus said on one occasion, rejoice. Why? Because your names are written in heaven. Philippians chapter 4, verse 3. Paul speaks of those whose names are in the book of life. Is your name in the book of life? If you obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ and you're living faithfully for Him, your name is in the Lamb's book of life. And you can rejoice, as Jesus said, because your name is written in that divine book. 
One day that book's going to be opened. In Revelation chapter 20, John said, I saw the dead, the small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. And he said another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books. So one day, God's book, that is this heavenly register, is going to be opened. So we think about the attitude of a believer, knowing who we are and whose we are. There's a second thing I want you to see in our study, and that is the altitude of a believer. Listen now to what Paul says. Back up and note with me, if you would, verse 19. He said, who set their mind on earthly things. Now look at the contrast. For our citizenship is in heaven. When we talk about the citizenship that we enjoy in this country, we understand that we are, we have been blessed, we're natives of this country, we enjoy a lot of great blessings, but Paul here is saying that we are citizens in a higher kingdom, a nobler kingdom, that is the kingdom of God. Now the contrast, according to Paul, is there are some who set their mind on earthly things. Those of us who are in Christ, we are to set our minds on things above. Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 2 that we have been raised up to sit with him in the heavenly places. Now we talk about altitude. Many of us have flown on a number of occasions and we understand that sometimes we'll get to an altitude of 30, 35,000 feet. Well, we want to stay there until it's time to come down. When I think about the altitude of a believer, what I'm saying is that my mindset, my mentality ought to be on things above. The danger, however, is that sometimes we are consumed by the things that are going on around us. And rather than having that heavenly mindset, that eternal mindset, we have an earthly mindset. So listen again to what Paul said. In verse 19, he said, who set their mind on earthly things. What does it mean to have an earthly mindset? Here's what I think. Here's what comes to my mind. First, I think about people who are only living for the moment. In other words, it's all about the here and now. They're not concerned about tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. It's just about today. I remember when I graduated from high school, I was not a great student. I was interested more in playing than studying, as probably some of you can relate. And I wasn't a very ambitious person at that point in time. I remember that while in high school, I dated a girl whose daddy was a banker. And I remember after our graduation on Sunday afternoon, he saw me in the hallway of the auditorium where we graduated. And when he stopped me, he asked this question. So, Mike, what are your plans now? My response was, well, I think I'm going to go get something to eat. I wasn't thinking about down the road. Well, that's how we are sometimes. It's all about the moment. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 32, Paul said, if the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. 
That's the mindset of a lot of folks. The only thing they're concerned about, the only thing that they ever think about is the here and now, for the moment. And then there, there are those who live for the material. Life for them is about materialism and money and the things that we can acquire in this life. Jesus said on one occasion, Take heed, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. In this context, in Luke chapter 12, he told a story about a man whose business was booming to the extent that he said, you know what, I'm going to pull down my barns and build greater because I don't have any room to store my goods and my crops. So that's what he did. And then after having built his business to where he thought it ought to be, he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to sit back, eat, drink, be merry. The Lord said, you got a problem. Tonight you're going to die. Nothing wrong with enjoying the moment. Nothing wrong with material goods or money, for that matter. But we can't allow those things to come between us and God. And then there are those that are living for might. Ecclesiastes is a great book, 12 chapters. Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, and Solomon was a wealthy man, enjoyed prestige. The queen of Sheba came from the ends of the earth to hear of his wisdom. And so here was a guy that literally had everything. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, in verse 12, he said that he was the king over Israel in Jerusalem. Imagine yourself as king, president. The buck stops with you. There are a lot of folks, it's all about power, isn't it? There are a lot of folks, they become intoxicated with power. And so they crave it. Solomon was an immensely powerful man. Add to that the prestige that he enjoyed. In verse 16, he talked about excelling in greatness. Solomon was a great man. I mentioned a moment ago that the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba, came from the ends of the earth to hear of his wisdom. And she said, the half hasn't been told. This guy was something. Now you imagine having the world at your fingertips like Solomon did. You've got power, you've got prestige, you've got a pocket full of money, you've got everything that you need right at your disposal. But you don't have God. That's how a lot of people live today. As Paul said, they mind earthly things. Oh, they got all these things, but they don't have God. And then there are some who live for mirth or merriment. In other words, they live for pleasure. They live for gratification, for self. I think one of the commentaries that will one day be written about this country is that a nation of people, we have become self-indulgent. And that self-indulgency has bled over into the church. And rather than being selfless, we have become selfish, self-centered. 
Paul talks about those who are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Sometimes we get so consumed with life and the things of this life, we forget about God. And we pay a terrible price. So the earthly mindset, but consider if you would the eternal mindset. Two very specific things here. The eternal mindset is first and foremost focused on the Lord. Now I want you to read Matthew chapter 6 verse 33. In Matthew 6 33, Jesus said, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What does it mean to put something first in life? It means to make that your primary interest. I know that we read Matthew 6.33. I know many of us can quote Matthew 6.33. And I know many of us have preached on Matthew chapter 6.33. It's not that we haven't heard it, read it, or preached about it, or taught about it. The problem is we don't practice it. That's really the problem. We talk about having an eternal mindset. The Bible says... Set your affection on things above, not on things which are upon this earth, Colossians 3, verse 2. Paul would say in Colossians chapter 3 at verse 4, he said, And when Christ, who is our life, that means Jesus Christ is the focal point. Everything revolves around Him. He is the centerpiece. He is the hub of life. Is Jesus the hub of your life? Is He the focal point? Do you have an earthly mind or an eternal mind? Here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He said, we do not look, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. The things which are seen, he said, are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. How many times have we been blinded by the here and now, by the moment, by the might that this world has to offer? How many times are we blinded to materialism and money and mirth or merriment or pleasure, whatever? Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. I want to ask you today, does your life revolve around Jesus? Is everything you say, everything you do, does it revolve around Him? Now we talk about being focused on the Lord. But there's a second thing we need to add to that, and that is we we must be focused in the Lord. What do you mean, focused in the Lord? Listen again to what Paul said. He speaks of those who set their mind on earthly things. Verse 20, he said, but our citizenship, our citizenship, he said, is where? It's in heaven. If my life is focused on the Lord, What that says is, my mindset, my mentality, everything that I'm living for, thinking about, is in heaven. I'm not saying that we have to, I'm not saying that we don't ever think about things in life. We have jobs, we have families, we have responsibilities. But I am saying that the focal point of our life is on getting to heaven. That's the goal. Now I want you to consider this for a minute. Many of us, we say we want to go to heaven. I believe that. 
I, I think that if we were to poll every one of us here today, we would all say in agreement, in unison, we want to go to heaven. But think, think about this for a minute. We come together Sunday morning at 9 o'clock for Bible study, 10 o'clock for worship, 6 p.m. for worship, and then Wednesday night for Bible study, Tuesday morning Bible study at 10. So what do we have? Roughly four or five hours of time per week. Four or five hours a week we are in the presence of God, corporately speaking. I know that God is omnipresent. We're in His presence day in and day out, 24-7. But if we can't find time to come to Bible study or worship, if we can't find time to open this book and read about God, or bow our knees in prayer to God and commune with Him and meditate on spiritual things, why in the world would we ever think we want to go to heaven? Why would we want to go to heaven? Look, if we're running with people in the world and the things of this world mean more to us than being with the people of God and studying the Word of God and worshiping God, if all those things mean more to us, why do we want to go to heaven? We're, we're headed in the wrong direction. You think about that for a minute. You're going to be in the presence of a living God forever and ever and ever, and you can't give him four hours a week, and you think you want to go to heaven? Are you kidding me? Really? You really want to go to heaven? Not what your life says. You see, sometimes we profess our faith, we just don't practice it. That's the problem. You know why we can't turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ? Because we're not focused on the Lord. We're not focused in the Lord. We're not focused on the Lord. Let me tell you what, some of us need a fire. We need a fire in our heart for God. That fire has grown cold and stale. When I was a kid, I remember starting a fire in a ditch one time. My grandmother wasn't too happy about that. We had to take a hose to it, put it out. Sometimes we obey the gospel of Jesus Christ and we're on fire for the Lord. Spiritually, however, though, what happens is sometimes we put a hose to it, don't we? We dampen, we quench that spirit. So what about you? You say you want to go to heaven. You want to go to heaven, but you never read his word. You never pray to him. You don't come to Bible study. You don't come to worship regularly. You really think you want to go to heaven. You run with the people in the world. You'd rather be with them than people in the body of Christ. You really think you want to go to heaven? You really think that? That's not what, you, that's not what you're all about. Let me tell you what you're about. You're about the world. Here's what Paul said. You mind earthly things. If you mind earthly things, you're not going to make it to heaven. You're not going to be in the presence of God. No, you'll be banished from His presence forevermore. Thirdly, and very quickly, the attitude of a believer, the altitude of a believer, and then the aptitude of a believer. What about a Christian? What about a child of God? Somebody whose heart is on fire for the Lord. Let me tell you what Paul said. First of all, we're looking for a destination. Listen to him in verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, 
the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that Jesus Christ is coming one day to take us home? That's what the Bible says. He is coming to take us home. When I was in college, I remember never been away from home, 125 miles up the road in Nashville, Tennessee. Never thought of myself as going away to college. Never thought of living anywhere other than my hometown. Those of you that are in college, those of you that are going to college for the first time, let me tell you what happens. That week gets long, and the weekend's coming. And here's what you think. I want to go home. I just want to go home. Remember one time when I was sick. It was Thursday night. I was in the cafeteria eating. I'm ready to go home. I packed up and went home for the weekend. Think about your body. Your body wasn't built to live here forever, was it? We've all known people. They've worked and labored and toiled. They've lost family members and friends. They're at a point where they're no longer mobile, and here's what they think. I just want to go home. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, but I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. There's coming a day when Jesus will come and take us home. We'll be there forevermore. And then secondly, not only do we have a destination, but the Bible says there'll be a transformation. In verse 21, who will transform our lowly body, our vile body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. When Jesus comes, guess what's going to happen? The dead are going to be raised. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul said, Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. This body, the body that I have right now, is growing older and wearing out. As you grow older in life, one of the things that you come to appreciate is the fact that you've got a lot of dings in the armor. Some have more so than others. But the body goes through the aging process begins to wear out and run down, subjected to pain and sorrow, to death. And yet, John said in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. And then he said, there shall be no more death. Neither will there be any more pain or sorrow or crying, for these former things are passed away. Let me tell you what, there's coming a day when we'll be in the presence of God and the body that we abide in in that eternal region will be incorruptible. It'll be immortal, as Paul said. Death will be swallowed up in victory, and this body will not be subjected to cancer. It will not be subjected to pain and suffering and heartache and toil. We won't be crying. Tears won't be shed at the loss of a loved one because the Lord will come and transform us. Are you a citizen of the kingdom of God? I want you to please listen very carefully. 
I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to help you. And what I want to say is this. There are some of you here today, and you know who you are. Maybe you thought about making things right last Sunday, and you didn't do it. God has graciously given you another week of life. You may not live to see next Sunday. You might not live to see the sunset tonight. But I know in your heart of hearts, you know what we've talked about today is right. It's true. And you know in your heart of hearts that your life is not what it ought to be, that you are earthly-minded to the core. You're not eternally-minded. And So I want to beg with you, I want to plead with you, don't leave here today. Don't leave here today outside the ark of spiritual safety. If you're unfaithful to the cause of Christ, you have the opportunity to make it right today. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Will your anchor drift or firm remain? We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love